If you will, please turn your Bibles over to Colossians chapter 2. We will be reading verses 6 through 15. Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I want to thank Winston for reading that for us, that text this morning. It's, it's a, a very short passage, but there's so much that, that's packed into these, these few verses. So we're going to continue our study in Colossians with part four, and I've entitled this Rooted and Built Up in Christ. Uh, before we get started on that, I do want to do a quick review of parts one through three. In part one, we realize that Paul is in prison writing this letter and he's told by a man named Epaphras, who is kind of a cornerstone member of the church at Colossae, of some good things that are happening at the church at this time. But he also warns them of some potential hazards that are taking place in the society that surrounds the church. And Paul goes on in the beginning of this, of this letter, and he prays that they will grow in wisdom and knowledge, but they will also walk worthy. And what he's talking about when he says that they will walk worthy is that they will take that wisdom and knowledge and that they will apply it and live it out in their lives. In part two, Paul goes on to give us a description of who Jesus Christ is and, who, and the fact that he is the creator of all. He also speaks to the preeminence and the superiority of Christ over the world, but also over the church. He being the head and the individual members making up the body of Christ. In part two, we also spoke a little bit about the society that was surrounding the church at this time. We talked about what many call the Colossian heresy. Some uh, believe that it could be a, a group called the Gnostics. But they had a mixture of Greek, Hebrew, and pagan ideologies. Uh, Jesus could not be creator in their minds. They also believed that Jesus was not God. So we're going to see this theme play out over and over as Paul goes through this book. In part three, Paul kind of transitions to talk more about himself and his own ministry and gives an explanation for why he does what he does, why he's willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. And that's, first of all, for Christ, second of all, for the body or for the church. And as we begin this morning, we want to start off in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4, where he transitions from this idea of why he does what he does into this idea that these people need to be ready for false doctrine. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. 
So Paul says, I say these things, I talk about myself and my work and my ministry so that you will be ready to face these false doctrines and these things that are, that are bombarding them in the society around them. He says, even though I'm not with you in, in, in the physical body, I'm with you in spirit. And once again, he brings to mind this idea that they are doing some good things, that, that they are showing a faith in Christ. As we move on into verse 6, Paul gets a little bit more into this idea of false doctrine and preparing themselves to combat that in their everyday lives. And he first talks about being established in Christ. In verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This takes us back to what we just talked about when we talked about part one. In Colossians chapter one and verse 10, Paul talks about walking worthy of the Lord. And Paul is reminding them, continue to walk in the Lord. But he goes and he he kind of brings to mind the day that, that they obeyed the gospel. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And I think back, and I want us to all think back to that day that we obeyed the gospel. I'll tell you, I was excited I was on fire. I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. In fact, as soon as I was able to get out the door, because so many people were hugging me, I ran a block over to tell my best friend's dad, Stuart Webb, about the fact that I had submitted to Jesus Christ in baptism, that I had obeyed the gospel. I wanted him to know. But you see, sometimes as Christians, the longer away from that day one we get, we kind of fall maybe a little bit in our study life. Our prayer life is not as strong as it once. We lose that, that zeal in our service. And Paul understood that with these Colossians. He understood that, yes, they had done the right thing. Yes, they had heard the word of God and they submitted to it and they obeyed the gospel. But he wants them to continue to have that passion that they had on day one every single day of their lives. That they should have that Christian walk every single day I was reading in College Press in a commentary, and I think they said it really well. He says, a faithful walk is as necessary as a good beginning. And that's so true. A good beginning is great, but what good is a good beginning if we're not continuing in him and walking in him every day of our lives? It's so important that we have a faithful walk. Paul kind of echoes this sentiment to to the church at Ephesus also. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He's saying you can no longer do what you did before you became a Christian. You can no longer live that life where you you were enslaved to sin. And that's what we know happens when we become a Christian. That's not how we we were taught. Just like in, in verse 20 where he says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. When we become a Christian, our life changes. No longer are we driven by our wants or our desires or our needs. Now we are driven by the word of God and we're driven by Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. Walk in him. Put your faith in him. And don't listen to all the noise outside of the church and outside of the word of God. He goes on and he gives two visuals for this. And he says, that they be rooted and built up in Christ. Now, when I think of being rooted in Christ, I think of a a big tree. Now, we moved to this house about a year ago, and across from our house, there's this field full of trees. And you know that's rare in the part of the country that we live in. But I love to sit out on our front porch and just look at the trees. 
But when I look at those trees, I'm not really thinking about anything but what I can see. But the thing about those trees is the most important part of that tree is under the ground. What strengthens that tree is under the ground. What nourishes that tree is under the ground. And the deeper and wider that this this tree is rooted, the stronger it's going to be. But then I think about a new tree. I think about a tree that has not built its root system up and may be transplanted. What's going to happen when a storm comes? It's going to blow over. Why do you think you have to have these stakes? Because the root system is not deeply rooted in the ground to protect it from the dangers surrounding it. But I'm going to tell you, this this tree has probably lasted through many storms because it's deeply rooted. And that's what Paul is saying. You have to be deeply rooted in Christ, in his word, and you need to live it. Not only that, he says that you need to be built up, built up in Christ. And that Greek just means to be built upon, to build upon. And I think of a house when I, when I think of that. A house is only as strong as the foundation under it. A house with a strong foundation, that foundation is going to stabilize that house. That foundation is going to prevent moisture from seeping into that house. It's going to insulate against the cold. It's going to strengthen the house overall. And that's what Paul is telling them. You need to be founded on Jesus Christ and his word. Because if you're founded on Jesus Christ and his word, it's going to stabilize you. It's going to prevent sin. It's going to insulate you from temptation. And it's going to strengthen you overall. It's going to give you strength. He says, you want to overcome false doctrines? Be rooted and built up in Christ. Because when you do that, you can face those false doctrines. You can know right from wrong. You know where your faith lies. And this reminds me of Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, as Jesus is talking. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. He goes on to say, A foolish man does not provide that kind of foundation. And what happens? Those storms come, the wind blows. And the great is the fall of that house or great is that fall of that person who is not founded on Jesus Christ. Where are we founded today? Where are we rooted today? Because when we're rooted and, and established or founded in Christ and have that foundation, we become established. It becomes hard to move us. He goes on in verse seven to say, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So it says, you be rooted, be grounded. And how do, you, who, how do you become rooted and grounded? Well, you study the word of God. You have a strong prayer life. You worship with everything you have and you fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And each day you're going to be deeper rooted, have a stronger foundation that can withstand no matter what happens in your life, no matter what storm comes, no matter what false doctrine comes to try to tempt you, you're gonna be able to withstand those things because you are established in the faith. He's saying, you've been taught this. And he says, be thankful for that. Have thanksgiving. He says, abounding in thanksgiving. And that word abound means to overflow. We should be so thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. It should overflow and show in everything we do in our lives. And we need to continue to walk in him. So he goes from this idea of being established, reminding them that they can overcome through Christ. And here's why. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, See to it that no one 
takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So he goes back to this idea. There are people out there who are going to try to to present these false doctrines to you, try to pull you away from Christ. He says, don't let anybody take you captive. That sounds like a choice, doesn't it? That sounds like a choice that we make. We can choose to go be rooted and grounded in Christ. We can choose to be established. It's how we live our lives. It's where we're walking. It's where we put our faith. And he's saying, don't let anybody take you captive with the vain philosophy or the philosophy and empty deceit. You have to understand, remember when we talked in part two about the fact that the society was teaching that, that Jesus was not God and that he couldn't be the creator. They were devaluing who, they, who he was, that they leaned heavily on the traditions of men, that they valued the wisdom of men over the wisdom of God. They tried to pick and choose pieces of the old law and bring them back and force them on people as, as being religious. They worship angels, as we'll see in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18. They even denied themselves very, uh, very extre- in very extreme manners to show how religious they were. Paul says, don't be taken captive by those things. And then he goes into a little more, uh, a little more depth in that. And he says, first of all, according to human tradition, the traditions of men. And I want us to think about traditions for just a second. Traditions are not always bad. Traditions can be good. Traditions can be neutral. Traditions can be bad, but those good and neutral traditions can become bad when we start forcing those on other people as doctrine. And that's what he's saying. You cannot allow the society around you to force these traditions on you as doctrine. And Jesus saw this same thing in Mark chapter 7. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and the scribes and Pharisees say, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of elders, but eat with defiled hands? See, they weren't washing their hands before they ate. And he's saying, Why are you allowing them to do that? And Jesus says to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And, the, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. That's when a tradition becomes bad. That's when a tradition becomes evil. When it's, when it's taught as a doctrine, but really it's the doctrine of man, not the doctrine of God. And that's what was happening to these Colossians. That was what was tempting them. Not only that, he talks about these elemental spirits of the world. The elemental spirits of the world. The King James, uh, or the New King James, I believe, refers to it as the rudiments. And what rudiments means is basically that, that basic, that first, that primary, simple element of anything. And as good as man can make their philosophy or their tradition sound, that's all it is. It's of man and it's basic. It's a rudiment. It's, it's primary. The real depth comes from the word of God. That's, that's where we need to be hanging on to. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 3, we see that what Paul is more than likely talking about here in Colossians is the same thing he's talking about in Galatians. He's talking about the law, the old law. These people who are trying to pull a piece of the pieces of the old law and apply it and say this is essential. As we'll talk about here in just a little bit, I believe circumcision is one of those things because he talks at depth about circumcision. But in Galatians chapter four and verse three, Paul says, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That wording sounds very familiar, doesn't it? 
But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son born of woman, both under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So again, he's saying, don't be drawn in. Don't be taken captive by these doctrines that these these people are trying to force on you. And understand that Christ and his word is where you need to stand. And basically what this all comes down to is that these traditions that are being taught as doctrines, these, these pieces of the old law that they're bringing in are not after Christ. And that's the basis of this whole thing. It's about man. It's about their thoughts. It's about what they want, what they desire, what they think. And they forget to consult the word of God. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't be taken captive by those things, but stay strong in the word of God. And here's why you can stay strong in the word of God. In verse nine, he goes on to say, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That word deity just means an essential God quality or Godhood. And it says that that essential God quality or Godhood dwells in Christ. Not only did it dwell in Christ while he was on earth, it continues to dwell in him. And compare that to the false doctrines that they were hearing that God is not creator, that God does not have authority. He's saying God or or that Jesus does not have authority. Jesus does not have that quality. He's saying Jesus does. Again, it's that theme that we've seen over and over and over expressed. Paul wanting them to understand where Jesus stands and the fact that he is superior, that he is the authority. And because of that, you can trust in his word. Because of that, you can let it lead your life and not be drawn away from those false doctrines. And because he has that quality, he says, through him, you could be filled And that word filled just means complete. You can be complete through Christ. You can be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did, because of the fact that he lived a sinless life, because he was willing to sacrifice himself, be buried, and then rose three days later. That's why we can trust in his word. That's where the power comes from, is because of his resurrection. In John 1 and verse 16, he says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You can be complete, you can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not through the doctrines of men, not through the false doctrines that they're hearing, but through Jesus Christ and his word. And again, he goes back, this theme, again, popping up over and over. Who is the head of all rule and authority? And again, I believe here he is talking about the spiritual realm. When he uses this word principalities and powers, as you'll see in the King James, you're gonna see that over and over, speaking of that spiritual. In Ephesians chapter six and verse 12, he, he uses this same, these same words. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Again, you have to understand why he is saying this. Why does he have to say over and over and over that Jesus Christ is the authority, that Jesus Christ is superior? Because you had a group of people that were surrounded by a society that told you that Jesus Christ was not God. Very potentially, you might have somebody in the church with that same thought. He wants them to understand and if you go down a few verses to verse 18, you see that one thing that, they, that, that is 
tempting them, that is pressuring them, is this idea of worshiping angels. He wants them to understand where Christ should be and that he wants them to put him in his proper place. So as he's talking about overcoming through Christ, he comes to this idea of a circumcision of Christ. And what I want us to understand about this circumcision of Christ is as he speaks about this circumcision of Christ, this is something that they have already taken part in overall. Because he talks about this in past tense. In verse 11, he says, In him also you were circumcision. Notice that word were. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So this idea of circumcision is kind of a random thought. It just kind of pops up. He hasn't really talked about it in, in this book at all. But it leads many to believe that the reason that he's bringing this up is this was one of those, those pieces of the old law that they're trying to bring in and force on people. But when you look at what circumcision was from the Hebrew point of view, we have to understand that that circumcision was an essential act to, to be in a covenant relationship with God in the old law. And many people still considered that as essential, something that they needed to do. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying that there's a better circumcision, a circumcision made without hands. And that's what he wants them to understand. So the question is, is if there's this new circumcision, no longer do we have to take part in the old one to be in that relationship with God. If there's a new one, how do we access that? How do we become a part of that? And he says, first of all, by putting off the body of the flesh. Goes back to that idea that we can no longer live as Gentiles like we once were. Now we have changed. Our life is different. Now we're dedicated to Jesus Christ and we're living in him. He says, you've put off that body of flesh. You've changed. Your life is different. Why? Because you're directed by something different and not by yourself. You're directed by Jesus Christ and his word. He says, putting off that body of flesh. Because when we make that commitment to Jesus Christ, that sin is taken from us. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says basically that we can't live in sin and be pleasing to God. So he's echoing the same statement that he's telling the Colossians. You, you can't go back to that old life. You can't live the way you once did. And he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And he's not talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the law of sin. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not going to be led by sin. But if you're led by the flesh, you're not going to be pleasing to God. And that's exactly what he says. He says, when you made that decision to obey Jesus Christ and obey the gospel, you made a decision to trust in him and his word and not be led by the world, but instead to be led by Jesus Christ. And he says, that happened by the circumcision of Christ. Again, this idea of this circumcision, this new circumcision, a circumcision made without hands. We put off that body of flesh when we enter that relationship with Jesus Christ. And he goes on in the next verse to tell us when that happens. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. When we're buried with him in baptism, that is the point that that circumcision of the spirit takes place, that circumcision of Christ. No longer is it about the physical, it's about the spiritual. 
at this point, this is when that sin is cut from us and removed from us. If you look at this word right here, faith in the powerful working of God, if you go back to the King James, it actually says, uh, it actually uses that as the operation of God. That operation. This is the point that that sin is removed from our lives when we're buried with him in baptism. Paul talks a little, echoes this same sentiment, really very similar in, in Romans chapter 6. At this point is when we're forgiven of our sins. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, he's been talking about the abundant grace of Jesus Christ. And that question arises, can we continue in sin? Even though we have that grace, can we still live in sin? And Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? He says no longer, again, that idea that we just talked about, how we are different, how we have changed. We are no longer led by sin. But he goes on and tells us when that happens. He says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. When are we set free from sin? When we obey that operation of God, that form of doctrine that he's talking about here. When we are baptized with him and we obey that gospel because we crucify our old man, that we are buried with him in the waters of baptism, that sin is removed from our life, that operation takes place and we rise a new man without sin, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's when that takes place. And it's all about our faith in that operation of God. It has nothing to do with what we put in that water. There might be a little chlorine. Occasionally you might find a, a bug or two that we have to dig out, but it has nothing to do with the water. It's all about what that is backed by. It's all about the understanding that Jesus Christ submitted himself and gave himself to be sacrificed on the cross after living a perfect life, was buried and rose three days later. That's why that's important. And Paul says, this is the point. Now, there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people in the world today who will tell you that baptism is not essential, that you don't have to be baptized. They say that baptism is, is basically an outward expression of an inward heart that it's really when you ask Jesus into your heart that that's when that operation takes place. But that's not what Paul says at all. It's when we have enough faith in the, re in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're willing to submit to his word and have faith in that operation. And that's when we come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's when we receive that forgiveness of sin. Remember, it's not about what man thinks. It's not about what the world says. What does the word of God say? And that's exactly what Paul is telling us here. Because once that happens, or once that happened in their life, he said they were made alive. And we see that in the next few verses. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So again, he's bringing to mind before they obeyed the gospel. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So he's telling them they have two, there's two reasons that they died, that they were dead spiritually. First of all, their sins, their trespasses. If you look in Ephesians, he uses the same wording, that trespasses and sins, it's our sin that separates us from Jesus Christ and from God. When we allow sin to rule in our lives, and there's no atonement for that. But he also says it's because of the uncircumcision of the flesh. Remember, when you look at the old, te- old law, the law of Moses, uncircumcised people were cut off from God's covenant. Genesis 17 and verse 14, he says, any, any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Cut off just means spiritually dead. There were two reasons these people were spiritually dead. Because first of all, they had sin in their lives and they had no atonement for it. Second of all, they weren't in a covenant relationship with God. They weren't in a covenant relationship with God and therefore they were cut off spiritually. They were spiritually dead. But Paul goes on to say, then you found hope. In the the remainder of this verse, he says, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. When Christ, again, made that decision to go to the cross and die for us after living a perfect life and being that perfect lamb of God, that perfect sacrifice for us. And he died, he was buried, and he he was resurrected the third day. It gave us an opportunity be covered in our sins, for our sins to be covered and to be removed, to have that operation to take place. But that's not the only thing that the death, burial, and resurrection did. It also took away what was holding us back, took, us, took away what was preventing many from having that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, by canceling, he says, those, those trespasses were forgiven by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You know, you look back and you consider the verse four, and many people think that automatically means just talking about the sin. But I think it's a twofold. It's taking away the sin. It's also taking away that law that held us back. So what he's talking about here when he talks about, about, um, about that record of debt He's talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about that law. But he says that that law was against us and opposed to us. Why was it against us and opposed to us? First of all, we could not live up to it. We couldn't couldn't fulfill it. There's no way. And the fact is, is failure in one part of the law means we're guilty of the whole law. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Without... Jesus Christ sacrificing himself. There's no way we would have grace and mercy. There's no way we would have forgiveness for our sins. But because of his willingness to do that, not only can we be forgiven of our sins, but we're no longer held to that law. Because you see, it was nailed to the cross. It was nailed to the cross. In Galatians chapter three and verse 22, Paul is again speaking of, of, of the same topic here. He says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 
But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That law was nailed to the cross. And no longer do we have to be justified that law by that law. We are justified through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And we're made free because of that. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins and in his body on in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. We have freedom through Jesus Christ. And then Paul kind of ends this section, and he goes back to that idea of rulers and authorities again. He says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus was victorious. And we talk about this, these rulers and authorities, and, and we talk about this, this idea of who he overcame. You know, I want to thank Danny for pointing me in this direction. He talked, he talked about, if you look at, at how it's worded in verse 14, that record of debt, it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. That's how he, he says that in this verse, in the New King, that's how it's translated in the, in the King James Version. And that has a cultural significance because back in those days when somebody was crucified, when they were hung on that cross, whatever they did wrong was nailed to that cross with him. Those charges that were against him was nailed to that cross. But then you have Jesus who knew no sin, who was nailed to a cross. But you see, Jesus didn't go to that cross for himself because of what he had done. He did it because of what we had done. He did it for us and for our sin. And effectively him fulfilling that law, when he was raised up, that old law was nailed to the cross with him. No longer are we held to that. No longer are we justified by that. In John chapter 12 and verse 31, it says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up, from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, it's not about your family. It's not about your lineage. It's about your willingness to submit to Jesus Christ because he was willing to die for you. And when that happened, when he was nailed to the cross and when he died, those, that Roman government and those Jews that placed him there physically, he overcame them. But really, they were just a tool of Satan. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he overcame Satan. He defeated death, and he was victorious. And it goes back to that whole idea that it's because he is superior, because he has the authority. And understanding that, we can have faith that through that death, burial, and resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins too. If you're here this morning and you have never obeyed the gospel, you can be forgiven. You can have that circumcision of Christ take place in your life today and you can rise a new man or a new woman today without the enslavement to sin. Or if you're here and you need the prayers of the church, we can help you with that if you'll come to the front as we stand and sing.